Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey there, and a good morning at you. Jeez, uh, it's July 21st. I know I always sound surprised by the date. Uh, a sure sign of advanced age. Let me start with uh, some sports news. Um, hailing from Wisconsin, I'm obviously a Milwaukee Bucks fan, so I just want to say, whew, that was neat. Um, I always, I, I found that I have more difficulty enjoying sports now because my empathic nature uh, always makes me feel sorry for the losers. <laughs> Man, that can dampen, you know, the delight you might take in in a game. I mean, generally speaking, we only root for a certain team by virtue of what accident of birth, uh, you know, geography, uh, born someplace else. I would not be a a Green Bay Packer or a Pittsburgh a fan, or if I didn't live in Pittsburgh, would I be a Pittsburgh fan? Um, I I. I don't know. So I just, I feel sorry for Chris Paul mostly. I just want to say, and for those of you who don't have a clue, Chris Paul is, it's okay. I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> well, I'll just move on. Uh, I, I, I'm a little punch drunk uh, today because, you know, the games, damn, you don't know. Cause I did once lived um, in the central time zone, but it is true. If you've lived all your life in the, Eastern time zone, you don't realize that other uh, Americans in other time zones get more sleep than you do. Uh, That is absolutely true. Um, So in order to stay up and watch that game, I was, you know, well past 11, uh, where it was being played, it was past 10 the lucky guys in the mountain states and the West coast, uh, you know, were fully awake if they were watching it, but I, yeah, you just don't get any sleep. And then the thing is, is basketball by its nature is just when it's at this level is, is such a, I don't know what is it. It's just so, so exciting. I mean, the leads changing hands all the time. You can be down by 20 points and, you know, come roaring back in five minutes. I don't know. It's just, it really is the kind of game where, you, you know, you know, you can hear, but my heart is racing and uh, it's hard to go to sleep after, after something like that. All right. I'll stop. Not quite. I'm still on the sports page. Uh, let's stick with, uh, basketball for just a while because, uh, one of the movies that is out right now is that, uh, you know, remake of Space Jam, uh, which was a movie, the first one that I watched a lot because my son was of an age when he simply loved that film, Space Jam, starring, uh, Michael Jordan and, uh, Bugs Bunny. Uh, but it's been remade starring LeBron James and, uh, is Bugs still in it? I haven't seen it. The New York times had the bright idea of looking at 
these basketball stars who have found themselves in movies and they ask the question, yeah, they can play, but can they act? And the answer, generally speaking, is no, <laughs> they can't. They go through a number of films, and the first one that they talk about is a film that some of you may have seen, although God knows I have not. And I don't, I suppose I could rent it just to see. It sounds horrible. It's called The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. <laughs> you seen that? I've heard of it. The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. And I'm sure Pittsburgh was just gaga over this. It was 1979, a few years before I moved here, because, you know, movies were not – movies in Pittsburgh didn't necessarily go together like they do now. But that starred Julius Irving, Dr. J, uh, an extraordinary uh, basketball player. And uh, the, the Times critics say it was a goofy movie. And uh, it showed that Dr. J is the coolest man alive. So they didn't really say that he was a good actor or a bad actor. Uh, they do say that probably the best great basketball player that held his own in a movie, and I was ex exactly hoping that they were going to say this, was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who 50 years ago uh, helped bring – the first NBA championship to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, this is right before he changed his name to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and was still Lou Al Cinder. But anyone who's seen Airplane, and if you haven't, give yourself a treat. <laughs> um, that uh, that cameo appearance by Jabbar playing a air, airline pilot is just is just wonderful, wonderful. Um, okay, you need any more? They talk about Marcus Johnson and White Men Can't Jump. You might have not even realized he was in there. No, it says here in the greatest basketball movie of all time. Well, yeah, Marcus Johnson makes a, uh, a brief appearance. He, a five-time all-star, uh, as a guy who was enraged after getting hustled out of out of money and he he in his one scene he clears the court swinging a knife around <laughs> in in rage and um he gets high marks for this uh, cameo appearance uh the times critics say it's so convincing that you would never know he became famous for basketball not acting that's Marcus Johnson that movie's made in 92 Dennis Rodman, they say, is not a bad actor, and uh, and he's been in a few movies, I think. Kevin Durant, who is now heading our uh, Olympic team, uh, was in Thunderstruck, and they say he acted impressively in that. That movie's from about eight years ago, because his acting job, in his acting job, he had to play a guy who couldn't play sort of like a, you know, like freaky Friday um, with Jamie Lee Curtis, where she trades places with her daughter. He trades places with this uh, kid, 
a clumsy high school basketball player who all of a sudden becomes amazing. And then he's like the clumsy high school basketball player. And so Durant, in order to play this, had to had to just screw up over and over and over and over again. And I suppose for him to do that on a basketball court uh, must have been <laughs> must have been difficult. Um, Michael Jordan, they pan in Space Jam, uh, even though he has enough star power to light up anything, but his acting is wooden and he needed to be saved by bugs. As for LeBron James with the remake, uh, they say, yeah, not much better than MJ, but maybe a little bit to give LeBron the edge in the Space Jam acting competition. Okay, that's it for basketball. Thank you very much. <sighs> On to a story that Susan and I talked about yesterday, and that was the female athletes in beach volleyball, beach handball, track and field, uh, and I suppose some other sports being essentially required to wear revealing tennis is another one to wear you know, things that show their, their legs for, and, the, and, but it's gotten higher. It's their legs and their, uh, their butts. And a lot of women say this is ludicrous. I, I'm an athlete. I'm not uh, a pole dancer. I'm not here. So men can watch my buttocks jiggle. I'm here to win a game. And so the Norwegian uh, beach, handball team uh, was considering a protest, and they, they did it uh, yesterday, I guess, where they refused to wear the bikini bottoms that their sport uh, mandates. Uh, never mind that the men who play the sport don't wear bikini bottoms, okay? They're, they don't, but the women have to. And so the uh, Norwegian players in their in their match yesterday, which is the bronze medal match in some tournament, I'm not sure what, they uh, they wore reasonable uh, you know shorts, and every single woman on that team was fined by the uh, by the governing body. And the New York Times has a story on it today, and it's just astonishing how this whole story uh, reads without really saying what clearly is going on here, <laughs> which is that this is so more men will watch because men aren't going to watch women play anything. Great female athletes are not going to be watched. But if you make them essentially play practically nude, then the men are going to watch. And for a sport to mandate that women play half naked while men do not have to, that is so obvious. And I am going to bet you that that is going to come to an end. I don't know how in these times this can still uh, be be allowed. I mean, just recently, the Badminton World Federation decreed that women 
who want to play at the elite level must wear short skirts. And they were quite open that this was in an effort to revive interest in the sport. That's not interest in the sport. And um, after the protest of the Norwegian team yesterday, the uh, spokeswoman for the International Handball Federation said this. I really do not know the reason for the rules that women have to wear bikinis, bikini bottoms. I really do not This is our spokeswoman. I really do not know the reason for the rules. We are looking into it internally. Oh, dear God. How do people have jobs like this that require them to lie through their teeth with everyone knowing? They're lying through their teeth. And to do it with a straight face, we really don't know why. Why was that that somewhere we decided that women, why would that have been to wear bikini bottoms? Mm. So there you have it. Uh, Depressing. Anyway. Uh And just one other sports story, and this one sort of pulls us a little into the political realm, too. I'm sure you saw it. Uh, I keep wanting to say New England because I'm looking at a picture of Tom Brady. Um, Tampa Bay, incredible. (laughs) Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the current holder of the Lombardi Trophy for being the best in football, uh, showed up as a team. Uh, to the White House yesterday for, you know, the usual fall derail. And uh, it was amazing how many teams did not do this in the last four years. Just amazing. Or if they did, it was just uh, an eviscerated crew uh, because they didn't want to. They didn't want to be associated with Donald Trump. And uh, they all showed up. Brady hadn't shown up for one of these things at the White House for uh, eight years. He didn't do Trump and he didn't do Obama in the last four. I suppose at some point when you win so many of these, you get sick of going, I don't know. But Brady showed up and man, he stuck this, I love it. He stuck it to Donald Trump. And Trump, of course, will have seen this and it will have made him crazy. It's exactly the kind of the kind of ridicule and exclusion and people, yeah, people laughing at him that pretty much drives his cruelty, certainly his insecurity, which then drives his bully boy cruelty. So watch out. He can't be in too good a mood after this. And and Brady uh, was saying when he 
was standing there with the president and his teammates, he said this, if you didn't hear it, I think about 40% of the people still don't think we won. And and Biden standing off to the side says under his breath, I understand that. And Brady picks up on it to drive it home and says, you understand that, Mr. President? And Biden smiles and says, I understand that. And then Brady didn't leave it there. He tells a little anecdote, apocryphal, I'm sure, that at one point in the game in Chicago, he actually forgot what down it was. Uh, He said it was first time in his entire career he made a mistake like that. And he said, and all of a sudden, everybody's calling me Sleepy Tom. Why would they do that? And that got another big laugh because, as you know, Donald Trump called the current president Sleepy Joe. So uh, I've never rooted for Tom Brady, but Tom? (laughs) Well done. Well done. Well done. Okay. Uh, Bree writes, in the new movie, Space Jam, LeBron makes fun of this athlete versus actor situation. So you've seen it already. Actor versus athlete situation. So the film is self-reflective, reflective in this sense. Uh, Reflexive? I think reflective, right? Know who the hell cares, Colin? LeBron goes to a pitch meeting where he specifically turns down being in a movie because he's an athlete and not an actor. But then before he can get out of the studio lot, he gets digitized against his will and he has to play a basketball game to get out. Ah, and then Bree writes, no more spoilers. <laughs> That is a bit of a spoiler, but not much. It does reference all the major Warner Brothers properties from Harry Potter to The Matrix. I fast forwarded a lot, but saw enough of it to know what was going on. And it wasn't much other than some good special effects. It's an easy, it's an easy money maker for the studio. Well, yeah, that's what they like. Easy money makers. You know what I started watching? Um that isn't my usual cup of tea, but I couldn't help but notice that it it just keeps getting all these Emmy nominations, um, slews of them. And so I checked out The Mandalorian. Now this is a George Lucas film, Star Wars prequel kind of thing. Now I know the first three Star Wars. Uh, pretty damn well. The, the then the the other three not so much, but I know those three. And so this is a prequel, I guess, right to those. And I watched the first. I watched. I thought, all right, I'll watch it. And I really was taken by the first episode. I found it. Um, you know, it's it's comfortable because it, I thought Star Wars was a great movie. Star Wars one and. And two, I I, I loved them, and um, and I don't know that I would have watched them, but that I was the mother of a of a 
child. And being a mother of a child, you end up seeing things that you would not have seen and hearing things, music that you would not have heard, and uh, often su- being surprised by the fact that you enjoy it. It's a great fam. It's great family entertainment, um, I think. And I, I really enjoyed it. So I watched, I think, two more episodes last night. I thought the second one dra- dragged a little, but there's something uh, comfortable about it. Um, and again, like Bree suggests with, uh, the new space jam, there's, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of sort of, uh, nods and winks to, uh, to past movies and, uh, you know, in between the nail biting, uh, terror and battles, uh, there's often humor. Um, so uh, whatever I, I, I have to tell you, I'm I'm enjoying that, and I'll probably yeah binge watch it till I can't binge no more. Okay, that's enough. Do you you have a sense that I'm avoiding um, <laughs> topics? <laughs> oh dear. Um. Okay, I you know let me do this because I've been wanting to share this with you. Uh, I think one of the, someone just said it to me the other day, I was just out walking my dog, despite the fact that I was breathing could be harmful to me because I have asthma. Same thing today, by the way. And it is the, uh, it's the climate crisis. It is smoke from, uh, Western fires. And, um, Now, why did I go off on that tangent? Oh, so when I'm walking my dog, I bumped into somebody who I know, and we were talking, hadn't seen him for a while. We're talking, and and, and then, you know, invariably, (laughs) invariably, somebody says something like, "Uh, so how have you been during all, you know, and it's not just, not just talking pandemic, you're talking what's going on in our country and the world, and um and he said something that I've said before and that I'm sure you've said before. And it's this, it's born of our incredulity, of our our absolute brow-knitting astonishment and confusion about how so many people who are our country men and women who might be very nice people in many ways have chosen to throw reality out the window and to instead sign on with not just the latest big lie that Trump won the election, but all the other lies that this group traffics in. It's, and I, we've all read, I'm sure, and listened to many conversations about wh- what is happening here. And I'm always grousing about, it all comes back to human nature, which apparently is pretty terrifying stuff. It's almost like, 
primitive, uh, and it is. It's primitive. Again, I fall back on my sense that I first arrived at about 20 years ago, whenever cell phones came out. Has that been 20 years? Maybe not. I said, um, you know, we think we're so smart, but I, we're just cavemen with smartphones now. And it turns out cavemen with smartphones are dangerous. So I, Michelle Goldberg, who's quickly becoming my favorite columnist, um, wrote a piece. Uh, I guess it appeared yesterday. I don't know. And she helped me understand what it is and in the process scared the hell out of me. <laughs> and I have to pass it on to you because I think it's the best explanation. And most of what she relies on is the writing of uh, the woman who's best known for helping to make sense of the Holocaust, of German fascism, of how in the hell could a civilized nation, a civilized people, known for great literature and art and architecture and music, and I, how, how could they become monsters, evil beyond comprehension? And I hate to tell you, because a lot of us have said, and General Milley, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, watching from the Oval Office, Trump and his minions, goes back to the 30s in Germany, Reichstag, he says. So, yes, it what is happening in our country, this thing that so many of us are looking at with disbelief, can be explained if we look just 70 years, what is it, 80 years back, maybe 90, to what happened in Germany. And she starts out, Goldberg, saying that she was not going to read any of these damn books that were coming out about the last the last year of the Trump administration. She said, I lived it. I don't need to go there. That's the way I feel. I'm not reading it. I'll read the excerpts that come out and, you know, let somebody else cull through it and give me the highlights. But then she picked one up. And the one she picked up is by a Wall Street Journal reporter, Michael Bender, that is titled, uh, frankly, we did win this election. The subtitle is The Inside Story of How Trump Lost. And 
I'm going to ask any callers to be patient while I just get through this Goldberg thing. And she was taken, as she's reading the book, by Bender's sort of embedding himself with Trump loyalists who go from rally to rally. There are, he says, like deadheads. Or she called them like, uh, I can't find it in the article. I can't, but yeah, like the de- authoritarian deadheads. They followed Trump from rally to rally. And they become known among the group. They're the frontline Joes. And he talks, the reporter, Bender, talks to each of them talks to them collectively, and he was struck by the sort of general personality profile that they embodied. And it was this. They were lonely. I'll quote Bender. Many were recently retired and had time on their hands and little to tie them to home. A handful handful never had children. Others were estranged from their families. And throwing themselves into Trump's movement, they found not only a community, but a sense of purpose. Now, I think that is very important. And even before COVID, we were becoming more isolated from each other. And you got to know that by simply, you know, looking at somebody, uh, two people sitting together, uh, seemingly together, but they're both looking at their cell phones. You know, we're uh, alone together. And then the pandemic even exacerbated it more. But Hannah Arendt made clear in her books, trying to make sense of what happened in Germany, that lonely people are drawn to totalitarian ideologies. I quote her from her book, The Origins of Totalitarianism. The chief characteristic of this man is not brutality, it's not backwardness, but isolation and lack of normal social relationships, normal social relationships. Think of Donald Trump. He has no friends. He has no normal social relationships. And a lot of his followers don't either. And that's why Goldberg points out that a socially healthy country and society would never have elected Donald Trump in the first place. 
And we know that social disconnection is uh, on the rise. And polls show us that people who show the most disconnection from everything disproportionately support Donald Trump. One recent survey said that this is frightening. 17% of Americans said they did not have a single person in what is called a core social network. In other words, they didn't have a single friend. And it's people like these, these socially disconnected people who overwhelmingly went to Trump because he gave them community. He reflected their feelings, their anger, and he gave them purpose. And then she pointed two more things. A cruel paradox of COVID is that the social distancing required to control it nurtured the very disconnection and pathologies that are now prolonging it. Trump's voters are overwhelmingly the people who won't get vaccinated. So these people will follow him over the cliff and into the grave because for once they feel powerful, they feel a sense of belonging, they're connected. And it's why if you look at rural America, I think there are so many people who really wouldn't be for Trump, but everybody around them is. Everybody around them is, and it would take a very strong character to withstand that. And so you join, and you become part of it. And one last quote from Arendt. Because Goldberg says, man, was she prescient. She described people shaken loose from any definite place in the world, these sort of disconnected, angry Trump people, as two seemingly disparate things. They're self-centered and they're self-destructive. Now, those would seemingly be, now, wait a minute, if you're self-centered, you're all about you. So if you're all about you, why would you embrace ideologies that could get you killed, that will hurt you? From Republican policies to refusing to get a vaccine to a million other things. And this is another thing that so many of us looking at our fellow Americans can't get through our heads. How can they be... First of all, selfish, not willing to chip in and do the job, everybody on deck, but they're they're killing themselves. 
And this is one last quote from Hannah Arendt, looking at Germany. Self-centeredness went hand in hand with a decisive weakening of the instinct for self-preservation. Wow. If the caller's still there, go ahead, please. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, Hi. What I was calling about is kind of like you were talking about. um, And you've talked about this before, too. And it's besides not liking other nationalities and all that, people look different than them. It's it's the deep south has been pissed off since the beginning of losing the civil war and never forgot it and it's just rising back up. You could just see it and they, and they probably in the south. I don't go there that much. It's always been there that you know, and it's just getting right. worse and worse. And it's right. it's what it is. And uh, these people that have this illusion that they're going to change that. I got a news for them. They're never going to change that. They're going to, people are going to have to die off or something because those people are racist and you will not change them. I, I, I had them in my family and then I just know they just, they're just like that. They don't like Arabs. They don't like just any different nationality than them. Italians. It's, it's horrible how it is. But um, I wanted to ask you, have you been told that that shot that we had, is it only good for six months? No. I heard No, you're hearing, see, there again, they don't know, first of all, but I've seen everything from a few years to maybe we'll need a booster. But this is, again, there is so much misinformation out there, it's mind-blowing. I I heard at least a year, so that was way back when I got it. But I didn't think that was right. Because I'm reading that now, and it's like, oh, my gosh, you people, you never end. I, Yeah, I think it would behoove everybody, even those vaccinated, to be more careful. I mean, I I had stopped wearing a mask and been going to restaurants and stuff, and I'm back wearing a mask. And yeah. I am going to a restaurant uh, in a few days, but I, it's, I we're going to be outside because I just, uh-uh, there's too many people right. – uh, although I have to say, if you're in Allegheny County, uh, Allegheny County is seeing less of a surge of the Delta variant here than most other places. And we've got uh, really impressive vaccination numbers. Um, I actually have them here. Hang on. I, I, I saw this and thought, whoa, I mean, this can you know, make you feel uh, a bit safer. This is uh, information from Deborah Bogan, who is the Allegheny County Health Department Director. And this is from a briefing from the end of June. So you got to figure these numbers are probably better now. She said at the end of June, more than half of eligible teenagers have had at least one shot. That 62% of adults aged 20 to 34 have had at least one shot. That 71% of those between 35 and 49 
and it keeps going up. And 79% of people 50 to 64 and close to 100% of adults over 65. Now, granted, that's one shot, but that has, that shows that your chances here, your your risks of getting it here are lower right now because right. you are surrounded by more people who are not self-centered and self-destructive. So that's the good news. Good. Okay. 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 All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And just uh, uh, Bob said uh, regarding the fish that saved Pittsburgh, he says banners for WTAE-TV, the reason I came to Pittsburgh, uh, were, part of, uh, were part of the sets in the fish that saved Pittsburgh. I don't recall any of the real life TV anchors, TAE anchors. Uh, but if you were working at channel four, when the movie was shot at the civic arena in 79, I'm sure that you would have made it into uh, being in the movie in a real life cameo, which happens, you know, and uh, Bob points out that, yeah, Sally, Sally Wigan and Ken Rice, uh, two uh, anchors that at the time were at Channel 4, uh, both had little uh, appearances in uh, Striking Distance. Another great movie. Jeez. Oh, my. Okay. Now, um, speaking of sort of the, the lies that are uh, promulgated uh, in, in this Republican universe. Um, I came upon, no, I can't find it. Okay. Oh, here it is. Um, we take you to Texas. I know, I'm sorry. But we take you to Texas where this kind of delusion and self-centered self-destruction <laughs> is running rampant in their government, which is wholly owned by the Republican Party. The Senate in Texas has just passed a measure that has to do with how children in Texas will be, will be uh, educated. And what they've done is take away certain subjects that had been mandated before, that in order to have a good grounding in American history, you had to know certain things. Well, they've decided, no, you don't. So these things will all now, they won't be like forbidden, but they will not be required. Teaching about Martin Luther King Jr.'s career and I have a dream speech. 
The Accomplishments of Labor Leader, Cesar Chavez. The Writings of Women Suffragist Leaders, like Susan B. Anthony. And the Totality of Native American History. It's hard to conceive of this. Republican Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick praised the legislation for rejecting, quote, philosophies that espouse that one race or sex is better than another. Susan B. Anthony was not saying women were better than men. B. Anthony was saying, we are being taught and our society is now constructed to tell women that they are inferior to men. So all of the things that these guys think they're protecting are, of course, the ability to keep things white men in power. And they're just bold about it. Look at what they targeted. Martin Luther King, black man. Cesar Chavez, Hispanic. Susan B. Anthony, woman. And Native American history. You know, if I were living in um, that hellhole state, I would not. I would not. want my children educated there. I wouldn't want them in that environment. And I would get the hell out of Dodge. I read a piece by uh, Richard Parker the other day called Texas should be a warning to all Democrats. And essentially says that the Democratic Party there is dead. Remember all that stuff? How, oh, the Democrats, it's turning, it's purple, it's purple, it's turning. No, no, no. It has become more solidly run by Republicans. And so here's the nightmare of Texas. Pretty soon, unlicensed Texans will openly carry loaded firearms into grocery stores, gas stations, airports. Women will effectively be unable to get a legal abortion. And school children will not be learning the unvarnished story about American history. And this author says that the Democrats are to blame, that they screwed up. It's because they never fought hard enough and still are not. Democrats are so outnumbered, so stripped of any power in state government, they hold mayoralties in some of the major cities. But the state government keeps telling them they can't, those Democratic mayors can't do what they want to do. So there you have the Texas Republicans rolling back voting rights passing measures that require, this one's require teachers 
to tell both sides, get this, both sides of the story of racism. Where did I read that another thing they can't do is say that the Ku Klux Klan was morally offensive? And here's the thing. The author says most people in Texas don't like this stuff. Republicans in Texas don't like a lot of this stuff. But the Republicans in power don't care. They serve like the Republicans in the United States Congress, a very narrow group. And they feel they have such control. And this is why they make it harder for people to vote so they can keep that control. And the author says, why would the Texas Republicans cross nearly a third of their own voters? It's because there's no alternative, because the Democrats are so weak. So a weak party allows the other party to quit worrying <laughs> about general elections. Republicans have better organization. More volunteers, more money. And the entire American system of politics, as you know, runs on money. And the reason Democrats in Texas are so broken down is that donors won't give them any money. Because all they do is lose. Governor Abbott, by the way, has his eyes set on the White House. He's running for another term as governor in 22, and thus far has no Democratic opposition. One last thing. He is zealous in his cruelty. He cavalierly cut off federal unemployment benefits to one million of his state's residents. Then he stripped the licenses of daycare centers that cared for undocumented immigrants' children. Texas should be a warning to us all. Caller, are you there? Hello. You mean a mean George Bush? Yeah, not a kinder okay. and gentler. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, what you were talking about earlier about the, um, the personality traits of, of these Trumpers who are basically, they're lonely, they're isolated, uh, this and that. Um, I was listening to NPR a few months ago, and they had a woman on. Maybe it was the same person who wrote what you're reading. I, I don't know. Um, and, and they thought, when you, when you have somebody in your family or a close friend, the last thing you want to do is isolate them. Um, if you, you, it's, they, she was encouraging conversation 
and not debate, just, just that if you push really hard back, you just, you're going to lose them forever if you haven't already. And for somebody like me, that's very hard to do. Um, but I think there's a lot of truth to the fact that these people probably just feel alone and they're very fearful. And I, I, I know, know how it's going to take a lot of patience on our part, but we always are, are the ones who are extending the hand, you know, reaching out. So I don't know. Maybe that's why I'm not a good person to like try to convert people because I get so frustrated. I understand. Me too. I'm not the I'm not the right person to uh, know how to. Uh, yeah, I just get so filled with rage, and I and and I know. I mean, I I do know that that doesn't change anything. Um, it might in fact stiffen the uh, others. Uh, uh, feelings that they are right. So, yeah, as much as I guess any of us can work on it, I had a very pleasant exchange last night with a guy on my street who uh, who has banners all over his. You know, he has a banner hanging over his front door uh, that Trump banners. Right now, he's got a banner for the Pittsburgh police. He has signs for the mayor, for Tony Marino, who's essentially, you know, a Trumper. Um, this guy is full-on Trump. And um, I happened to bump into him uh, walking the dog again last night. And uh, we had a very nice exchange. We were talking about my dog and his cat. And you know, we laughed, we traded a few stories. And then I went on my way and I thought, you know, see, this is, that's a human being. And we just found common ground where we could talk and it was pleasant. And I, it made me feel good. Um, I don't know that that changes a damn thing. I am pretty sure he knows who I am. So he probably thinks of me as uh, Satan and, you know, I look askance at him. But there we were just being people together. And it felt good. It felt good. I don't know. But, but, okay, so, so the good thing about what you just said there is if, you know, things really go through the – go to hell and, and people really are taking up arms, can somebody like that – really say, say, okay, make the, the decision. Okay. Okay. I will shoot you. You know, like if, if there's another civil war, I mean, and that's probably why that was an important conversation. You know, I mean, as silly as it was, he does, well, maybe, you know, you both realize you're not monsters. It's just like, you just don't understand each other's thinking. That's um, right. That's right. You, but back to, you know, because if you get an argument, you just push back. And I have to say, like when it comes to religion, for example, nothing turned me more away from religion than somebody who's a religion, Christian zealot. They're the ones who mm -hmm. push me away. I mean, and, and, and maybe we can we do the same thing when we tell them they're stupid and they're killing them. Our, our yeah, well, we're not. That. Yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I thought Brady, I'm sorry. Wasn't Brady a Trumper? 
No, I don't know that he ever was. Uh, no, I, I'm not sure. I don't have a clue. He didn't go to any of the, um, you know, I don't know. Oh, he All didn't. I, know, I thought he was a big Republican. Okay. Cause they always show him I don't, convention. I'm not so sure okay. about that. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's I can't say one way or the other. The owner of the Patriots craft was a Trump. Okay. So okay. I just don't know. I can't pretend I do. I have a friend who just adores Tom Brady, who really pushes back. The one time I said that he was a, Brady was a Trumper, he went nuts and said he is not. So I don't okay. know. This is all just that. None of that is gospel. It's all just, uh, you know, hearsay and anecdote. Hey, thank you for the I, call. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. I just want to say that um, I cannot stomach, as you know, Jeff Bezos. And after seeing what was he, I guess he can do whatever he wants, obviously. But um, did he look like the total geek of the century in that stupid cowboy hat he was wearing when he came? What was that about? Space cowboy? What was that about? Boy, did he look silly. I'm just saying it annoyed me. Jeff Bezos is annoying enough. Then he puts on a cowboy hat and I, and I, and then he said this, and understandably there was pushback. How tone deaf can you be? He said, after his triumphal, you know, by the way, that, that cabin they were in when they were, you know, uh, in zero gravity and floating around that their little capsule was so small <laughs> that they couldn't really float around. I mean, in Branson's they were like zoom and really had a ton of space and having fun and doing cartwheels and whatever. These guys were just sort of like bumping into each other. Um, so that didn't look as cool. Although what is cool is the rocket taking them up and then just going back home and landing itself. That is so friggin' cool. But that's something SpaceX, uh, Musk, the other gazillionaire, uh, did. Anyway, so Bezos says, I want to thank every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer because you guys paid for all of this. Okay. Now, I just want to tell you right there, as you know, I try mightily not to buy or in any way deal with Amazon. It's almost impossible because they're a monopoly pretty much. But I go out of my way not to pay Jeff Bezos. And for him to say that of his employees who work in a dystopian nightmarish uh, in his warehouse facilities. And by the way, speaking of that, <clears throat> I very happily said how David won one in Churchill that uh, the, the, these people that were wanting to put up an Amazon uh, facility in where the former Westinghouse uh, Park was right off of uh, the Parkway East, um, they were going for, you know, tens of millions of ta Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars, my dollars, your dollars. 
as, um, you know, an incentive. They were going for a grant to destroy Churchill and make Jeff Bezos richer. And so many in that community are up in arms fighting it. And that was a, they withdrew their, uh, their proposal for the grant, which I, you know, happily reported back and said it was a, you know, David wins over Goliath moment. But here's the reality. They're not stopping. They're just not going for those tax dollars. And this thing is moving along. And it appears that the uh, elected people, the borough council, and then the county executive, Rich Fitzgerald, and all the others are thinking this is just one great wondrous thing. And this thing is going to happen. 600 semi-trailer trucks a day clogging up. If you regularly drive the Parkway East heading between the city and, let's say, Monroeville, (laughs) and if you live in that lovely little town, Churchill, you better get the hell out, too. I can't imagine how anyone thinks it's a good idea to put a facility like that, which belongs in an industrial park setting, not a bucolic suburban setting. Anyway, I didn't want to mislead you about that. Uh, Everything I'm reading says that thing is uh, because, hey, Jeff Bezos gets what he wants. Simple as that. The rich guys get what? they want. Simple as that. So that's all I got for today. Uh, If you've got asthma, respiratory difficulties, they say young children shouldn't play out. We still got lousy air out there. Okay. There are apps that can uh, help you keep track of that. If, uh, if you're somebody who should, when I was walking the dog last night, talking to the Trump guy, I was breathing, you know, in, and I'm thinking, hey, I'm dying out here. I'm dying. I'm shaving years off my life. What you going to do? Okay, we live in dystopian times. Have a wonderful day. Talk to you tomorrow. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Thursday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.